This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. As somebody who is concerned about this and as somebody who's seen a lot of the world, what does national identity mean to you? For me, it doesn't mean almost nothing, I would say. Since I didn't study only Spanish, I studied medieval history. So I'm pretty familiar on how flexible borders always were. And maybe that's why where my European perspective comes from. And I see how all those borders we have, especially in Germany. I mean, just 150 years ago, yep. there was not this German state. So it's just so man-made and it's just so temporarily, you know. Even in Second World War, um, the border of Germany was completely different than it is today. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how where the borders are going to be in 100 or 200 years. And yeah. actually, I don't care. It's not that important. BFM 89.9, you're listening to Night School, the show that explores concepts, theories, and society. I'm Ahmad Farah Rahmat, joined this week by Cora. Let me get this right or try to. Uh, no blog. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> you're from uh, Radio 1 in Berlin. That's Radio 1 in Berlin. And you are an exchange producer, I guess, here currently in yeah. BFM, where Ali Johan is going to be your counterpart over there in Berlin in November. Exactly. So it's um, a pleasure to have you here on the show uh, where Thank we're you. going to talk about globalization, you know, the state of globalization, at least from your perspective as a broadcast journalist and my perspective as a lecturer, perhaps. But first things first, though, uh, let's have a bit of background with regards to how you entered journalism and how you eventually took an interest in Malaysia. That's a good one, to be <laughs> honest, that actually Malaysia and even Southeast Asia as at all were never really in my focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot explain actually why. It's probably because of my studies and my career at university. I was always focused on the Spanish language, mm-hmm. Spanish history, European history. So I'm really not that German girl. I'm really a European mm-hmm person. Mm-hmm. I would say that. Mm-hmm. That's even for me it's more important to be European than German or whatever. Right, this nation right. concept is not fitting to me. Um so I studied Spanish and I went abroad and studied in Spain and I went to South America to Bolivia. So always my focus was more the other side right, of the world. Right. And then this exchange program of Goethe Institute came up and offered this opportunity to come and visit Malaysia. And they said, well, do you want to go to Kuala Lumpur? And I checked out the map and said, oh, I actually have to look where that's at. Oh, it's so close to Singapore. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I know it sounds a little bit stupid, but then I thought, okay, I'm not too old to stop exploring of the course, world of yet. Course. Yeah. Um, and I said, okay, let's go yeah. and see Malaysia. Now, I would guess that adjusting in Malaysia is much easier than, say, Bolivia. Would you agree? Yes, totally, 100%. Where in Bolivia were you? La Paz. Ah, okay. I've been there, actually. Oh, really? And Cochabamba. Oh, how did you like it? I love Latin America in general, yeah. So I spent quite a bit of time traveling during my backpacking days, you Mm -hmm. know, um, 
But, same with me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, well, that's, that's, that's a good way into the discussion, right? Why is it easier to adjust here as opposed to Bolivia? Do you find that there are a lot of cultural similarities, linguistic conveniences? What comes to mind? First of all, I was surprised. I mean, Malaysia is just like Bolivia considered developing country, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. But I would say those two countries are like really yeah. opposite, not only opposite of the world, but in their actually develop, mm -hmm. development. Yeah. yeah, Infrastructure. In, yeah. Infrastructure, everything. So that would be one point. And then I found people here really um, self-confident, which is good and it's easy to approach. Mm -hmm. And then... I was surprised, too, about the similarity we have in communication, mm -hmm. actually. It's not only the English thing. I mean, English for me is not a maternal language. And mm -hmm. I think for Malaysia, it's the second state language, mm -hmm. right? It's not, would you consider English as a maternal language? You mean as you? a native language? Yeah, uh, like no, for you no. as a Malaysian? No. Uh, no. And I think a lot of what you've seen reflects the, the segment of Kuala Lumpur that you've been mm -hmm. Of You've course. been socializing in, yeah. But um, what I was saying about this way of communication, I find it very easy to talk to people. I can read people's faces. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned that because many of my colleagues visit Japan, China, and they always talked with me about this difficulty sometimes mm -hmm. to understand the face of your person. Mm -hmm. Is the person being offended by you? Is right. the person bored maybe? Or um, you you talk to someone, you look into the face, and then sometimes you can read it or you don't. You mm -hmm. don't know, mm -hmm. does, does he understand me? Yeah. Does he like me? Does he, does he think I'm a polite person or not? And I find that very easy here mm -hmm. to get in contact and I really enjoy it. Yeah. Could it be that you're among people in the media who tend to like to talk? <laughs> you of know, course. could that, that be could a factor? Be, yes, yeah. but not only. I mean, I've been traveling to Penang right. um, lately and I talk to people in the street with vendors mm -hmm. and... Um, no, I wouldn't say it's only about people in the media. Of course, they're used to expose themselves and express themselves. But I attended this Kuala Lumpur Festival. Of mm -hmm, course, it's mm -hmm. a festival for people with education or a higher level of education, right? But even there, it was just so easy to mm -hmm. talk to people. I find them very um, interested, yeah. open-minded. And warm, I would say. Warm. I think there's something about our approachability here that's a bit different than a lot of other places, you know. And I get what you mean about reading facial cues because, you know, when you're an outsider, quote unquote, someone who's not from a certain place and maybe the language isn't something you're, you're confident with, uh, you look for facial cues, right? Because you want to be yeah. able to gauge like... They're even more they're, important. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. Which, you know, is interesting about where we are now when we talk about globalization. You know, you're from Berlin, I'm from Sha'alam, and we somehow understand each other <laughs> despite only having met very briefly and we can kind of have the same references like Bolivia, right? Yeah, what a surprise, so, right? So, We're uh, here in KL talking about La Paz, yeah. which is so, nice. That is very nice, but I wonder what it says about, you know, how the world is being shaped, you know, because... Is it really being accessible to a people of a certain class, you know, economic class or educational background where we get to have these references? And the question that follows from that is who's left out right, mm -hmm. of that process, mm -hmm. right? So 
we have the media, we have a voice, and we get to talk about the world in a certain way, but not many people have that access. So I wonder then, with the benefits that we're clearly reaping, what's the story that's not being told? And uh, I mean, this is where I think your perspective from Berlin is very interesting, right? Because Germany too is even, like you said, debating about what it means to be German in light of, you know, refugees. I'd even call refugees so and so forth. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? It's interesting that you point out this uh, level of education and class and economic background you have to have to travel, of course. You have to have some mm -hmm. kind of, even if you're just backpacking Latin America, you mm -hmm. need some money in your of pocket, course, of, of course. course, or a family that supports you. And you need education to get your books and your reading and addresses and to connect yourself, of course. But still, even countries with a higher level of education or economic background, they're still not into the same way of traveling. I mean, mm -hmm. you did your backpacking or had the phase of backpacking and exploring the world. I did have that. So it's not only about economic background. Or, yeah. So it must be something more, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe a Western way to look at things. I don't know, Western's probably yeah. the wrong connotation because... You're not a Western person, yeah. but we still have the same way. <laughs> Mostly, of, I'm not. Yeah. No, but we still, but obviously we yeah. do have no, the yeah. same way to approach the world, right? Yeah, and which makes me wonder, like, you know, do we need new categories to describe this mm -hmm. world, right? Because uh, I'm, I don't think I'm Western, but you know, I'm speaking in English language here, and I was educated, I still am in a lot of ways in that framework, you know. And but at the same time, I don't necessarily relate to Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, in ways that maybe I should, you know, um, in long traditional lines, right? So that makes me wonder sometimes, like, you know, sometimes language and concepts do not catch up with developments yeah. as they should, you know. I and, agree. Um, and I think we are just at a point where we realize that um, the world is getting far more complex very fast and we don't necessarily have the vocabulary or the framework to actually capture it. We do have this discussion in Europe because we have those two movements, if there, there are probably more than two, but I would say those two very opposite movements. We have those younger, educated people, students who do an Erasmus exchange. Mm -hmm. That's a European concept of studying abroad within Europe for one year. Mm -hmm. That's, for example, how I got to study in Spain for a year and mm -hmm. Spanish people go to England and study mm -hmm. there or Paris or whatever. And those are people who are used to move within Europe, even if they don't have that much money in the pocket. Flights are cheap and they travel Europe and they consider themselves very European. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, we have this movement of young people too, not only the older ones, young ones too who are, seem to be so afraid and scared of this globalized, huge world that they start looking back at their so-called traditional, national mm -hmm. categories and saying, what's happening with my... We have this German word Heimat, which means your home, but it's more than just your home, more than your house. It's like really a state of mind, mm -hmm. like something which is really your home home by heart. Right. And they seem to be kind of afraid that someone will take it from them, that right. they are losing it because of many of laws, of European laws, right. of um, refugees, of language. That, For example, the German language, there are more English words. 
yeah. filtering yeah. the language and they say, well, this is not this German anymore my grandparents used to use. And that this, for some people, it seems to be a challenge in a, in a positive way, yeah. this globalization. And then on the other hand, it's scaring. Yeah. Based on your observation as a journalist, which side is gathering momentum? Do you feel that it's the former side that's you know, in these Erasmus exchanges, or do you feel that it's the latter side that's, you know, very attached to home? Like, because at least from here, if I look at English-based based media, it looks like the far right is actually winning. <laughs> or is that um, an exaggeration? It's an exaggeration. I hope so. At least yeah. I'm a positive <laughs> thinking person. Right now, this right-wing movement we have all over the world, mm -hmm. in Europe, in many countries we have it, has huge media attention. Yes, so it seems to be really heavy and important right now. But we just lately had this huge demonstration in Berlin called Unteilba, where hundreds of thousands of people went into the streets saying, we are one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There is no separation and no segregation. We don't want this segregation. We are mm -hmm. one. Yeah. One world, actually. Right. We're not just one country, not even one city. That's yeah. not enough. We yeah. are more than that. So I think maybe they're not that loud as this right-wing party who use has a very strong vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But I think in the long run, the other side will win if you want to use the term. Yeah, very, very, very interesting. I want to pick your brain more on that. But let's take a break right now to hear our sponsors. I'm Ahmad Fatrama alongside Cora Nobla. Very good. <laughs> from uh, Radio Ions in Berlin. And this is Night School on BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, I'm Ahmad Fuad Rahmat and joining us this week to talk about globalization and the state it is currently in today is journalist uh, Cora Noblak from Radio Ions <laughs> in Berlin. And in the first part of the show, we got to know a bit about your background and the perspective you bring, uh, as well as the state of multiculturalism in Germany, given where globalization is now, where it's bringing people closer together, but that is not necessarily good news for everybody. Uh, what is becoming then to the question of Europe, right? Because for at least in the 90s, it looked like everybody wanted to be, you know, everybody shared this yeah. um, vision and now people are questioning it. And and being disappointed. Yeah. Uh, and, and you wonder now what's going to happen to the notion of the West as well, right? Not just Europe. So, uh, and you said you identify with that term more than, than German, right? So what's your, the sense you're getting now, given the politics you described? Um, I think if you have this concept this concept of Europe, you have actually two concepts. The one is just considered on economic base and economic power, mm -hmm. banks, laws. Uh, yeah. And then the other layer is just this feeling of Europe. Mm -hmm. so I'm, not, I'm not a lawyer or I'm not uh, within any economic company. So, mm -hmm. like I said, those younger people who are really moving easily from country to country, living for a while here and then moving, especially artists, for example, they will not consider the concept of Europe connected to this economic right. importance for them. It's more a culture mm -hmm. background, I think. And that's a very important focus. Yeah. Yeah, so. The problem is that when it's defined along cultural terms, then it becomes very abstract, right? Because yeah. one, one might even say that Latin America, to an extent, is kind of European, mostly Spanish-speaking, mostly Catholic. There are more republics yes. in Latin America than there are in Europe. 
right? Well, this I mean, post-colonialismus, uh, right? Yeah. Course. Or rather, let's put it this way, there are more monarchies in Europe than there are in Latin America, mm-hmm. right? So, <laughs> I mean, what does that mean to say that one is culturally European? That's a good one. Actually, the first time I considered myself a European was when I left Europe as a, as a high school um, student and went to the United States and I went to school there. I mean, I was 16 years old, so I before I left for the United States, I probably like any teenager didn't really think or reflect on where I am from. Sure, sure. But that was the first time I thought, oh, I'm really European about many things, point of views, this national, this national, the strong national feeling I um, discovered in the United States. Those flags, the singing, this hymn, everything. And I just thought, okay, that's just a total different background and a total different view of where I'm from, you know. So I don't know. I couldn't describe you exactly what's being uh, European. It's, It's a sentiment. Maybe, and a cultural background. I just talked in Penang to a street artist um, from Penang, a Malaysian street artist, and he said that, for example, in art schools and colleges here, it's just the European or the Western art history being taught. And Mm -hmm. for him, Mm -hmm. this is problematic. And I see that. And I was kind of shocked because, I mean, I I never talked to any art student in Asia, but that was the first time I thought, oh, how can a college or a university where you study art in Asia just focus on European art yeah. history? I studied yeah. art history, but of course I'm European. I studied European art history. <laughs> but as you in Kuala Lumpur, I would consider you would really reflect on Southeast Asian art. Yeah. So there is a strong Western focus. And I agree that that's difficult for mm-hmm. people who are not European. Why should the world... For example, like the artist world, just focus on European art. Yeah. That's not all. I mean, (laughs) there's more into it. Yeah. But I think that's part of the irony, right? In that globalization, quote unquote, tends to mean the exportation of the European outlook or the Western Mm -hmm. outlook, right? And I think from our perspective, uh, it's interesting for me to hear that, you know, you don't, you, you realize your European. Uh, sensibility when you went you went America, whereas from here, you know everything is just the West. Mm-hmm. So Germany might as well be in America, you know, from here. <laughs> I mean, because the narrative is such that we want to. But make... I tell you, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. <laughs> but it helps the narrative from here, yeah, of you know, um, that you know that similarity is, mm-hmm. is made, you know. So, and when we we look at just the brands that are available here, the sort of consumer culture that's available here. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to just call it Western. When I think, like you said, American consumerism affects Germany negatively as it does in Malaysia, right? Because yes. we find that, we both equally find it problematic, right? But you know what? When I went the first time, I passed here this huge mall we have here close mm-hmm. to BFM. I expected a mall in a East or in a Asian metropole I expected there only American brands, mm-hmm. Western brands. And I was really surprised that there was not just only H&M and <laughs> Nike. No, there were Chinese stores, yes. stores with um, Muslim clothes. Many stores sell Asian brands. Mm-hmm. 
And I do, and I'm interested in not only in art, but in design and um, clothing and everything like that. And I find it very easily here for me to buy myself Asian brands. Mm -hmm. And I like that a lot. And mm -hmm. I don't think that the style is so Western. I mean, maybe, right, right. maybe it is. Right. Um, I cannot tell. But I think you kept your background really good. It's not, it's not a sellout. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for observing that. Yeah, I guess so. All things considered, you know, we've managed to, especially more so lately with the rise of China and Korea, mm -hmm. um, there is a bit of a balance, you know, in, this, in the sense where we could somehow see not Asian values, I wouldn't use that term, but at least Asian products in the market. And to, it's important. Yeah, it is important. I think so. Yeah. Um, it is important. It's just a question of, again, there's a, similarly like in, in Germany, there is a backlash against that. And one of the reasons why religion mm -hmm. has become a more appealing option for a lot of people is that it, it fills in people. the void. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, where people feel like, well, you know, even our culture is becoming consumeristic now. So we have to turn to religion as a response to that. And sometimes, I mean, there are many ways this can go, either they shun materialistic values mm -hmm. altogether or they incorporate consumerism. So there's an Islamic market, an Islamic finance, you know, uh, people talking about the virtues of Islamic capitalism, so on and so forth, so that the adjustment will be friendlier to that way of life, you know. So um, in, in that sense, we see this, you know, take place where globalization opens up as much as it closes, you know. It has very, uh, how would you say... Um, radical potential in both ways, right? For us to have this sort of conversation, but at the same time for people to avoid this conversation mm -hmm. um, in extreme postures, you know, yeah. But I think it's um, very important to keep this conversation open. And of course, it's important to reflect on capitalism in a very deeply way for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, what am I doing when I'm having a stress day? Do I go to a shopping mall to relax spending money just because it gives me the feeling I'm treating myself? Yeah. Or do I find other ways to relax? Yeah. Is it just spending money that relaxes me a little bit? Is yeah. it something you get, you're get? you getting taught as yeah. a child already? What do I do to treat myself? Yeah. Do I spend time with friends talking or do I spend it on eBay or mm -hmm. Amazon or whatever kind yeah. of platform? And of course, capitalism wants us to spend money mm -hmm. and they teach us if you want to treat yourself, buy yourself a new car or a new gadget or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. But that's that's globalization too. You can do that in Singapore. You can do that yeah. in Berlin or Paris. I want to ask you what you make of your national identity today, you know, because at the end of the day, this is what the setup is. We're mm -hmm. still a world of nation states. Given all the migration that's happening, the globalization that's happening, we cannot think beyond or we cannot really function without the nation state arrangement, right? We have passports for that reason. And this is where politics appears to be divided, right? Between on one hand, those who want maybe stronger borders and those who want to expand the definition of the nation. But even then, those who do want to expand the definition of nation still has, they still have boundaries, you know? Uh, you still have to know the language, for example, the no mm. quote-unquote way of life. They might differ what way of life means across. The right might have different definition or emphasis than the left, but you still need, quote-unquote, the nation, right? So 
as somebody who is concerned about this and as somebody who's seen a lot of the world, what does national identity mean to you? For me, it doesn't mean almost nothing, I would say. Since I didn't study only Spanish, I studied medieval history. So I'm pretty familiar on how flexible borders always were. And maybe that's why where my European perspective comes from. And I see how all those borders we have, especially in Germany. I mean, just 150 years ago, yep. there was not this German state. So it's just so man-made and it's just so temporarily, you know. Even in Second World War, um, the border of Germany was completely different than it is today. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how where the borders are going to be in 100 or 200 years. And yeah. actually, I don't care. It's not that important. And this migration we have within Europe is so huge. And people who are not into historic topics and don't or know very less and don't know much about history they come up with those kind of foggy ideas of nationalism mm -hmm. and national ideas and even culture. Mm -hmm. Even my parents sometimes say, oh, do you want to give up your German culture? And I like asking, what do you mean by German culture? If we're talking about medieval history, things we would consider today as German culture back then was actually French culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where are we talking about? Are we talking about the past 50 years or 150 years? What is important? Yeah. And all this German art and history, even the Western art we just talked about, has its roots yeah. in the medieval history. Yeah. There was no France and German. Germany yeah. didn't exist. Yeah. So to me, it's not important at all. It's interesting that the question of being German, at least here, at least in English-speaking media, completely ignores its attachments to Eastern Europe. Yeah. You know, historically, you know, if you think about before the nation state today that we call Germany existed, the attachments to the East was very, very significant, you know, and we don't, we've sort of forgotten that in mainstream discourse. Oh, even Germans Germany. today forget it. Yeah. For example, my father was born in a place that now belongs to Poland mm -hmm. and he never visited. Mm -hmm. It's very personal, of course, because when he was born there, when he was a little boy, his village was a German village. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now it's not German anymore. No one speaks German there. Yeah, yeah. And for him, this door is kind of closed. He's actually right. with his back to his own history. Right, right. So, it, so this migration thing or this refugee thing has so many layers. It's yeah. not only the refugees that are coming from Syria, Afghanistan. No, my yeah. parents, my father was a refugee too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But he keeps, for, no, he's not keeping, he's not forgetting it. But to him, he was not a refugee. It right. was a German tragedy or it was a historical tragedy. But I would suggest that for Syrian refugees, it's a historical tragedy right. they're right. living through right now too. So what is migration? Yeah, yeah. And what is history too, right? Because... Yeah, when does it start and when yeah, does it when stop? Yeah, when does it stop, right? And sometimes you have to think about it as a picture and some parts of the picture are brighter and more highlighted than others. Even though they exist, they might not be under the strongest light, you know. Um, I want to end this discussion by maybe your recollections or thoughts about Latin America in this regard because it has a very unique history of nationalism in the mm -hmm. sense where it's almost always regional or international, right? So Cuban nationalism, for example, mm -hmm. inspired the whole region. Uh, it was even uh, exported to South Africa, <laughs> right? Yeah. In the battle against apartheid, uh, you know, Che Guevara was Argentinian. 
Argentina has interesting connections with Germany too, right? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Mexico too. So that seems to me to be a better model of nationalism. Of course, it's problematic. I'm not, I'm oh, not yes. dismissing that. But as far as nationalisms go, I find the Latin American turn very interesting, you know, at least. In what perspective? In a sense where, I mean, in the 20th century where there seems to be a lot more regional solidarity, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the Bolivarian revolution, for example. I mean, there are problems with that. But the fact that a Bolivian can identify with a Venezuelan or Cuban, for that matter, you know, in this sort of anti-imperial cause, you know, is, is very refreshing to me. But I don't know about the indigenous population because they're kind of left out That's as true well. Too. That's true because, too. Um, and that was why I was so interested in Bolivia because they still have this pretty, well, the majority actually mm -hmm. are still belonging to those indigenous people. And that's, again, this Western perspective that, They're kind of exotic, and I don't know how they connect themselves with Venezuela or Cuba. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about that, but like in most places, the indigenous are, they kind of fall out. Yeah. They're yeah. just talked about, but not talked within. Sure, so. sure. And again, I mean, the same, the same can be said about Peru as well, right? And, but also like the fact that a Japanese can be a president of Peru. It's very interesting. Yes. Right? That is uh, Fujimori. Yeah. Uh, that, or that Brazil has the second largest Japanese population in the world. And one of the biggest export of Brazilian culture today is actually Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is Japanese. So somehow, for some weird reason, Latin America has sort of like, you know, the Republican tradition is there. And they've somehow incorporated these hybrid identities in ways that Europe still struggles with. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, again, I'm not excusing the problems, but insofar as there is a Republican tradition and diversity is a problem, Latin America is interesting in that sense. But anyway, uh, I just want to think out loud with you since you know it uh, too. Uh, not many people I can talk about that place with. So any concluding thoughts on the subject matter before we wrap up? Yes, that this, just the word diversity you just used, I think that's one of the most important topics we have to discuss. We have to teach ourselves to relax on it to welcome diversity and accept diversity in many senses, mm -hmm. not only gender, religious diversity, cultural diversity, and personal diversity. And I think that's, um, I know it's troubling many people. Mm -hmm. I know that it is a hard one, but I think that's the main focus of all of us to work on that. And hopefully when you return to Germany, you will have uh, fond things to say about Malaysia. Oh, And uh, <laughs> we'll get more friends from there to visit uh, instead of Indonesia yes. and Thailand. Uh, or in addition to in Indonesia and Thailand. Anyway, Cora uh, Nobla. Yes. Correct. Uh, from uh, Radio Eins in Berlin. Thank you so much for your time. I'm Ahmad Fawar Rahmat. And this is Night School on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.